0: Welcome to Problematic Women, a podcast and Facebook live show that showcases strong conservative women, current events, and the hypocrisy of liberal feminists. My name is Kelsey Harkness. I'm a senior news producer here with The Daily Signal. And I'm Bree Payton, staff
1: writer at The Federalist. So today we have a great show for you today. We have a lot to unpack. But first, let's start off with liberals uh, saying that conservatives are appropriating the term feminism.
0: That is right. That actually happened. So a social justice warrior accused conservative women of appropriating feminism. This came in a New York Times op-ed by liberal feminist writer Jessica Valenti, author of books such as Sex Objects, a memoir, and Why Have Kids? So in our latest piece, she argues that Republicans and Republican women are appropriating Feminist rhetoric. So
1: in her article entitled The Myth of Conservative Feminism, this is what Valenti writes. Quote, conservatives are appropriating feminist rhetoric despite their abysmal record on women's rights. This is in part a product of the president's notorious sexism. Now more than ever, conservatives need to paint themselves as woman friendly to rehab their image with female voters. So this is hilarious to me because the OG feminists like Susan B. Anthony and Claire Luce Booth were very pro-life and by today's standards, very very conservative. So who's appropriating feminism, really, Jessica Valenti? Who is it?
0: Hmm. This is- I'd say
1: it's the people that are calling for free tampons,
0: but whatever. <laughs> This is one of the biggest lies of feminism That historically there's one definition And women always agreed with one another It's just not the case They were all over the board And women united on certain issues That they agreed with Like getting women the right to vote Um, So I I think that this article Just completely manipulates The term feminism To only mean the liberals Definition of it And to say oh no 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 You guys can't use it over here, I think, is extremely condescending and immature. Yes, not to mention just
1: wrong. Hypocritical. Um, Also, (laughs) I think it's really funny that she is saying that we're appropriating the term because a lot of conservative women, I would say probably more conservative women than not, um, are uncomfortable with slash completely reject the term. I would say most of the writers at The Federalist are like, I'm not a feminist. Do not call me that. Because the term is not just about equal rights for men and women anymore. The term is a synonym for abortion and for pushing for things like free tampons or pushing for for things that they don't necessarily agree with, um, like free love or pushing myths like the wage gap and all these other things. So... Uh, Her argument that we're trying to appropriate the term and that we're using it incorrectly is just wrong because a lot of conservative women completely reject it outright.
0: So I'm one of the people who don't reject the term. I actually, in a way, do identify with um, I do identify as a feminist. But every time I say that, I need um, I need to I I can't just say I identify as a feminist because people would draw the conclusions that you just laid out. Um, But. Part of the reason I identify as a, as a feminist because is because I want to acknowledge that women in history were not always equal, and actually feminists such as Susan B. Anthony and Claire Luce Booth have done a lot to get us where we are today, where we do have equal equal rights with men. And I also think that it's just important um, to champion women, um, because although we might be equal before the law, we certainly at times face injustices. Um, just look at the Me Too movement. Um, that that was really important for women, and that's why I do think there are conversations that need to be had. And um, and I I think that in some ways, in order to be a part of it, we just need to, as conservative women, lift up, lift lift each other up, and not just completely reject the idea that there are differences between men and women and women you know, at times need their own conversations um, because things affect us differently. But let me get back to this piece in the New York Times. So the author basically argued that liberal feminists need to take back the term feminism, a.k.a. stop conservative women from being able to use it. And she also attempts in this weird way to justify her own hypocrisy over the lack of feminist celebration um, when when good things happen for women on the right. And she used, one of the examples she used was Gina Haspel becoming the first female to ever lead the CIA. Um, you know, if this were uh, a liberal administration, you know, the left would be um, celebrating this to no end, we would not stop hearing about it, and this was very quiet that we have the first female leading the CIA. I mean that that's amazing. Um, she argues that that's not Haspel being leading the CIA isn't feminist because um, she has a she has a record that she doesn't that that Valenti doesn't agree with. She doesn't agree with torture and so forth. I just could not disagree more with this because I don't I don't know Haspel, I don't know her personal beliefs, but I do know she sacrificed a lot to serve her country, our country, and she is a true patriot. And that is something I think liberal feminism constantly ignores, the fact that there is a view on feminism that looks at issues like national defense and views things like Uh, Trump's decision to pull out of Iran, uh, the Iran deal, instead of sending them a plane full of money, that's actually feminist to me because what's happening in Iran to women is really bad. We've talked about this on the podcast before. There are protests going on um, where women are ripping off their hijabs and then getting sent to jail for it. And the United States of America should not be enabling, condoning, or, or or financing that type of behavior. And that's what happened under the Obama administration. So what the Trump administration is doing is very feminist. Um, we actually just this week had Secretary of State Mike Pompeo at the Heritage Foundation laying out in a speech what is next after the Iran deal. And He actually decided to include a quote, um, a statement about women in Iran, and this is what he said, quote, as human beings with inherent dignity and inalienable rights, the women of Iran deserve the same freedom that the men of Iran possess. Where was this under the Obama administration, Brie? It wasn't there because they didn't care. They cared more
1: about making friends with people who are literally funding terrorism. Let's just call it what it is. Um... You know, they were more concerned about that. They were more concerned about putting an accomplishment under Obama's belt before he exited the Oval Office than they were about the rights and the quality of life for women in Iran.
0: Yes. So I think that under the Trump administration, we have one of the most pro-women foreign policy agendas that we've had in a long time. That is feminism to me. I am not going to back down to women like Valenti who tell me I can't use that term because when I see Positive examples of feminism. I'm going to hold them up. And with that, we're going to talk about what's going on over in Ireland.
1: So Ed Sheeran, the pop singer, is mad that pro-lifers are playing his song Small Bum to encourage voters to vote against a referendum to repeal Ireland's abortion ban. So the song, Small Bump, is about mourning the loss of a baby that died before it had the chance to be born. The music video, uh, Ed Sheeran is seen looking really sad in a hospital waiting room. And it's kind of like assumed that he's the dad or a relative of the baby and that he's sad that um, this woman, you know, lost the child. So Ed Sheeran wrote in an Instagram story last week, I have not given approval for this use and does not reflect what the song is about. So he was upset that they were using this song to push for voters to vote against uh, a referendum to change Ireland's abortion laws, right? So essentially pro-lifers are using this um, to oppose abortion, and Ed Sheeran is like, no, that's not what the song is about. So I'm like, okay, fine, maybe that's not explicitly what the song is about, maybe it's not explicitly about abortion, but it still is mourning the loss of a baby that didn't have the chance to be born or take its first breath. That's still a pro-life message, uh, and that's something that pro-choicers often reject or don't like to talk about. And I think it's fine if pro-lifers want to use this song, which
0: talks about mourning the life of a child that died before it had the chance to be born. That's something that I never understand when it comes to the left's view on abortion, that if they want the baby, they get to decide— Um, that it's a baby. And if a miscarriage happens, then they lost a baby. That's what they say. You know, it's a very traumatic experience. And then, but if it, but if they don't want it to be a baby, then it's, then it's not. Right.
1: Yeah. It's very weird to me that the same group of people that is always saying that you get to decide who you are, right? Like Kelsey, you're a woman biologically, Mm -hmm. but if you want to be a cat or if you want to identify as a man, like You have the ability to do that. This is what these people say. But then on the other side of their mouth, they're saying that someone else gets to determine whether or not a life is a life. right? Like I I think you should be able to determine that uh, and that everyone should have the chance to be born. Everyone deserves the right to life. Very clearly, I think we should all be able to agree with that. But for some reason, that's a controversial thing on the left. The same group of people that always likes to say that you can choose to be whoever and whatever you are.
0: I have an idea. Maybe let's just let science decide these things. Oh, science already did. (laughs) Begins at
1: conception. So boom, debate ended. Except it's not. So if you're in Ireland
0: watching this, (laughs) please vote no. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of baby bumps, we have to point out that you can now get a 3D printed model of your own. So this is kind of awesome, but kind of creepy. Brie, you wrote a piece on it on The Federalist. Yes. What did you think? Okay,
1: so I actually really love watching videos of three D printers making objects. Oh yeah, they so, cool. so cool. It's um, so this actually takes the image captured in a three D, you know, image taken inside the womb of a sonogram and converts it into like a plastic model of the baby with like the face and everything. So that way you can see it before it's born. I think that that's cool um i'm also not sure how much this costs like i might be like sure let's do it if it's five dollars but i don't know that i I would necessarily spend hundreds or thousands of dollars to get this because my baby's gonna be born soon anyway so can you get a i'll get to see it pretty soon
0: isn't it true that you can get a gold
1: plated version of it too you can also get this dipped in gold if you're feeling really bougie and you're like i need a ten thousand dollar however much this is version of the model of my baby, then you can do that. You can scratch that itch. You can do that. This is a Russian-based company, um, so you can learn more about this in my piece at thefederalist.com. That
0: sounds like something that the Kardashians would do. I wouldn't put it past them. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should tell them about it. (laughs) Well, if you know them, let them know. Okay. This is the next question we want to pose to you all. So if you're watching on Facebook Live, please share your thoughts. Is President Trump the most pro-life president ever? So this week, he spoke at the Susan B. Anthony List Gala in D.C., promising to defund Planned Parenthood and support life. He's also been pushing to cut off roughly $80 million of Title X funding to Planned Parenthood by reinstating the Reagan rule on recipients. Um, Brie, background explain how that works. Okay, so Title 10 is a program that provides family
1: planning services to individuals that, you know, are living at or below or close to the poverty line that receive Medicare, Medicaid, uh, other things like that. They're able to use these funds for family planning services. So, of course, Planned Parenthood is like, oh, we do family planning, which they do, but they also offer abortions, right? So, a lot of taxpayers are like, please do not send my tax dollars to a facility that also aborts children. You know, I'm pro-life, I don't want this to happen. Um, Federal law already prohibits uh, tax dollars from being used explicitly on abortions, but by sending money to abortion clinics that effectively enables and helps abortion clinics stay open and helps them to provide more abortions, right? So this would effectively just say, um, it would tell Planned Parenthood Either stop offering abortions altogether or you have to have separate fil- facilities for these two things. So, have your planning, family planning services, have the contraceptive care, have all that other stuff in another facility completely separate. Like, there has to be a physical wall of separation between where you're providing abortions and where you're providing family planning services. So, that would do that. Um, a lot of also, I think we should need to talk about this too. Uh, Planned Parenthood and a lot of other pro choice individuals have been pushing this rhetoric that it imposes a gag rule on health professionals. It doesn't, uh, it would still let healthcare professionals at these family planning service facilities tell women about all of their options, including the legal option of abortion. It just prohibits them from specifically referring them to a specific abortion clinic. So you can tell them, hey, you know, here's all of your options. Here's how far along you are. This is something that you legally can do. Um, But they just aren't able to say, oh, go to this clinic specifically and ask for this specific doctor. So it doesn't prohibit individuals from talking about abortion. It just says, please don't refer them.
0: Well, if you remember, um, actually, it was former Planned Parenthood President Cecile Richard um, who made this public earlier this year. She said that Ivanka Trump had the audacity to ask her um, to for Planned Parenthood to simply stop providing abortions and you know they could continue their funding or maybe even get more funding. And... Planned Parenthood absolutely just laughed at that. But I do think it's an interesting question whether or not Trump is, Trump is the most pro-life president ever. Given his history um, with abortion, he was sort of all over the place. But you know what we just talked about, all that is on top of him appointing Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court, uh, rolling back President Obama's contraception man- mandate and expanding the Mexico City policy, which was designed to ensure that U.S. taxpayer money is not funnel to foreign non-governmental organizations that perform or promote abortion as a method of family planning. Um, the Bush's this policy and uh, Clinton and Obama nullified it. So Trump is reversing that. And it's yet another example of how he really, I think in a surprising way, is really pro-life. I also think it's really important to point out just very quickly that This Title
1: cutting Title X funding to Planned Parenthood doesn't completely defund the organization from taxpayer dollars. They're still getting hundreds of millions of dollars uh, via all of these other government programs through USAID, through all these other uh, organizations. So when you hear pro-choicers, pro-abortionists saying, oh, my God, this is going to totally cut off – every all Planned Parenthood access to everyone you should say no it doesn't um and if you're pro-life you should still be upset that your tax dollars are still going to an abortion facility
0: well that wraps up that segment when we come back we have a very very special guest Larry O'Connor host of the Larry O'Connor O'Connor show on WMAL in D.C. And we're back with Larry O'Connor, host of The Larry O'Connor Show on WMAL in D.C. Larry, who says the D.C. mayor, Mario Bowser, is being slightly selfish for adopting a baby infant. Larry, (laughs) welcome to the show. I have to to say that after almost 50 episodes of Problematic Women, you are the first male (laughs) guest that we are having on the show.
2: Wow. I, I am honored and terrified at the same time.
0: <laughs> that is history right here. <laughs> Thank you. So you had a very they, pro-
2: I feel like you know what, may I say I feel like I've shattered a glass ceiling. <laughs> oh,
0: you did. You did. Your own glass ceiling. Congratulations. <laughs> you.
2: So you about had a very
0: time. you had a very provocative segment on your show this week criticizing Bowser for adopting an infant. For those listeners who missed it, we're gonna play a very short clip explaining the backstory.
2: Because we sh- we're talking about a adoption here. We're talking about parenting. We're talking about the, a little baby having the chance, the very best chance that that little baby should be able to have, to have the life that they deserve. And I'm sorry, that should trump the rights of any single individual, I think, in this case. Well, nah, I shouldn't use the word rights. This isn't a rights issue. But it should certainly trump the the somewhat selfish desire to have it all. So, Larry, explain
0: explain yourself.
2: (laughs) All right. So, you know, first of all, I do a 60-minute segment, and I love the fact that you picked the one moment in the whole hour where I didn't have all my thoughts together. Oh, Uh, I apologize for that. It was not on
1: purpose. I thought you were great.
2: I'm kidding. Well, no, you know, it is very much a stream of conscious thing. Listen, uh, I, I guess I was criticizing Mayor Bowser, but I, I went through great pains when I first set up the segment. But I didn't want to make it about her specifically. I actually like Mayor Bowser. I don't agree with her on anything politically. But she's always very open to interviews and going into to talk to the uh, media who who is critical of her, like me. And, uh, and I'm very happy for her on a personal, individual level. She wanted to be a mom. She's now got a kid. I, I understand the joy there. But I think that it's important that we, especially we conservatives, we we start articulating certain values and certain principles here. And I think all things being equal, that a baby deserves to have a two-parent household. And ideally, that two-parent household should consist of a mother and a father. Now I recognize that that ideal is not always available. But in this case, this is not a case where, um, uh Miss Bowser uh, is, is going through a divorce. It's not a case where, God forbid, her life partner died and she is left as a single mother. She is a single woman at the age of 47 years old, and she is going out of her way to adopt a child and an infant child. And that infant child, one must presume, could very easily have been adopted by a two-parent household. And I think that as a society and as a culture, we should Lift up and emphasize that as the ideal that a two parent household is better for a baby than a one parent household, especially by the way. And I'll let you guys jump in, especially when that one parent has one of the most intense and demanding jobs you can think of being the mayor of Washington, D.C. And she's signing up to do four more years of that. She's basically running unopposed in re election. So I'm sorry from birth till four years old is a pretty important time to have a parent around full time.
1: So I think we're actually all in agreement about all of those things. Uh, Obviously the ideal situation for a child is to be in a two parent home with both a mom and a dad. Uh, You know, obviously the roles of being a mother and a father are very different and specific. And a child needs both of those things. I think, and I think we're all in agreement that culture should be elevating that and that culture should be encouraging that. Um, but, you know well then
0: we're done here you're not getting off that easy (laughs) all right so you know
1: just on a practical level there are so many children who are parentless or are stuck in the foster care system which you know you know is a terrible place for a child to be stuck in caught in the middle of Um, but she i I I
0: don't believe she adopted out of foster care i I could be wrong but this was an infant adoption right but Anyway, my point is that there are thousands and thousands of children
1: that are in situations that are far, far, far less than ideal. So elevating a child to, you know, a situation where they can be cared for and provided by by a very competent woman who is doing very well financially and can afford the best child care, the best, you know, nannies, the best kind of education, all of the best things for this child, I think, is a far better outcome than this child ending up somewhere else. Right. And also on that note, you know, I have known personally same sex couples that made excellent parents. And I have known um, couples, you know, of a mother and a father who were not great parents. Right. So I I think that parenting and the outcomes of children are while we're all in agreement that two parent, you know, is is the ideal scenario, just on a practical level. I, I think it's fine and I think that this child is gonna end up much better than it probably would in like ninety nine percent of other households.
0: And Larry, you were raised by a single mom, I heard you say during that segment, no?
2: I was until my kid t- I come from a broken home. My mother was my, my parent until I was a teenager and then I and then I lived with my father, um, who had been remarried. So I did have a two parent household there. And by the way, I am divorced. Uh my my children are in a broken home, although Uh, When they're with their mother, there is a a second parent in the home. And when they're out here living with me, uh, Meredith is in the home. Uh, So they do have two parent houses. But listen, I understand there's all different flavors of parenting. I even said in the segment, and I encourage everyone to listen to the whole thing, you can get the podcast at LarryOConnorShow.com. We'll
0: link link to it on the Daily Signal.
2: I even said if she were uh, taking a foster child, If she were becoming a foster parent and getting a child out of the foster parent system, I would be celebrating her. I am a huge, huge supporter of of foster parenting. I I, I think our current foster parent and foster child uh, uh, policies in this country are broken and they need to be fixed. But part of that fix is encouraging more people to do that. If she had done that, I think it would have been great. I think we also have to notice uh, one other thing here. Uh, You know, you said that because she's got um, a good financial situation, well, you know what? Okay, maybe this is controversial, but I think if the choice is between a a middle-income family that has two parents in the home versus a very well-off single parent where the parent you just conceded, Kelsey, the parent is going to be handing that child off to nannies much of the time, frankly, I don't think that's ideal. I I, I frankly would rather have the two parents who don't have the means, who don't have as much money. I don't think we should start saying as conservatives, that wealth is really the 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 trump card when it comes to being a good parent. Yeah, and
1: that's uh, not at all what I meant when I said that. What I meant was that, you know, statistically speaking, it's likely that this child would end up, just because, you know, children who lose their parents or end up in the foster care system, most of the time, it's really, really sad to say this, but most of the time they end up in situations that are far far, far less than ideal than the situation yeah. of ending up with Muriel Bowser, who is you know able to provide these things. And I certainly agree with you that a middle-income family with two parents of a mom and a dad would be far more ideal than ending up with, uh, or I shouldn't say ending up, but with being placed with Muriel Bowser, uh, sure. who is a single yeah. mom. I definitely think we can agree that that would be a far better outcome for the child, um, but just you know in terms of practicality and in terms of the huge number of children that do go unwanted, um, both in the foster care system or linger uh, in orphanages worldwide, I think that just on a practical level, we should applaud adoption whenever it. Happens.
0: Well, and here's a more complicated question do you have any sympathy for so I know nothing about Bowser's per- personal life if she's ever been in a serious relationship um, if she's ever tried to have children and she couldn't because of infertility issues but I have a lot of sympathy for women who for whatever reason cannot find love or cannot have children and if that's something that's really important to her I think adoption is a beautiful thing and she can certainly provide for this child so um and and I imagine she's going to be a great mom, so I think it's a very positive thing that she's adopting. But how do you balance, you know, sort of that sympathy for women who um, can't have children or didn't have children for whatever for whatever reason, versus this this a kind of false narrative I would say exists on the left. And Larry, I think this is what you're sort of getting at, where. I think this comes from liberal feminists a lot when they say that women really can have it have it all. And you can have children when you're when you're fifty because of all the, you know, technological advances and medical advances. Um yeah. but for a lot of women it's not possible. And for a lot of women it might be difficult to navigate the adoption system a little later in life and be able to get an infant. I mean, I, I imagine that Bowser had some Good connections, but the adoption process can be very, very difficult. And yep. um, what I think you're getting at is, you know, maybe this bigger narrative that it's sort of dangerous to encourage women and to tell them that you you can have it all by pushing children off. If if having children is something that's really important to you, like, can you really push that off for years and years and years and end up with what I believe is a happy ending, which is what Bowser has here.
2: Yeah, well, listen. I think you said it well, Bree, and and I also, you know, listen. I, it, the first question: Do I have sympathy for women in that situation who haven't been able to find love, who for whatever reason has not been have not been able to to make that happen for themselves, and they now find themselves in their 40s and they still want to be? About, of course, I have sympathy for them. But as my friend Ben Shapiro would say, facts don't care about your feelings, right? So, so. Uh, yes, I have sympathy, but that we shouldn't drive our our public policy based on, on our, our sympathy and our, on our care for people and our concerns for people uh, necessarily. I think ultimately you have to ask the question, what's the best thing for the baby? Not what's the best thing for the 45-year-old woman of means who just wants to be a mom. Number one. Number two, let's point out one other thing here. Listen, this is this is a high – the reason we're talking about her is because this is a high-profile woman in a high-profile position who represents something. She, When she does something like this, she is sending a statement, and especially in a city like Washington, D.C., where there is a crisis of unmarried women who do not have the kind of financial means that Muriel Bowser has, who are African-American, who are in the inner city, who are raising children without a father in the home we can all agree that that is a major cultural problem in this country and it affects poverty it affects education and yes it affects crime and 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 i'm sorry we've got one more unwed mother now this time choosing out of going out of her way and adopting a baby that otherwise would have had two parents i think that does send a message and i think it's worthy to point it out and and question and have a conversation about whether it's the best message
0: well, Larry, we appreciate your willingness to have a conversation <laughs> with us, um, coming as the first male guest on our podcast ever. So, I'm thank you. Here, very, very provocative. I'd say, I'd say it sounds like Bree and I are going to agree to disagree with you, but very respectfully. <laughs>
2: Thank God. We need more of that in this town, don't we?
0: (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Well, thank you, Larry. Thank you, my Um, friend. uh, We encourage all of our listeners to tune into his show. Um, Where can they find it online if they're not in the D.C. metropolitan area?
2: Yeah. LarryOConnorShow.com is where you can listen on a computer or you can just download the WMAL app.
1: Awesome. Thank you. And speaking of adoption, adoption is really hard in Washington, D.C. So, The city of D.C. has a lot of rules and regulations that prohibit religious based adoption agencies um, from effectively operating in the city because it forces religious organizations like Catholic Charities to place children in homes with same sex couples, even though, you know, their religion prevents them from doing that. So effectively, a lot of faith-based adoption agencies have been driven out of the city. I personally know a couple that has actually moved to Arlington, Virginia in order to be able to do- adopt a child through a Catholic agency because they like cannot do that in Washington, D.C. So maybe her going through the process of this will make her think about this twice, think about, oh, this was so hard for me to do. There was so much paperwork. Maybe— you know, it's time to let religious organizations handle the overflow of children that need to be placed in good homes.
0: Breathe. this is actually an issue that I've been covering for quite some time on the Daily Signal. Basically, liberal activist organizations such as the ACLU are going across the country and suing faith-based adoption agencies, arguing that because they have this policy that they'll only Place kids with uh, married moms and dads, or they will place kids with single mothers. By the way, um, but, but because they won't place kids with same-sex parents, they're arguing that they are discrimination, discriminating against same-sex couples. And in Illinois, for example, um, Catholic charities and faith-based adoption agencies were completely shut down. And um, somebody who's on the ground there told me that in that that decision affected an estimated three thousand children who needed to be adopted. And then it not just affects the children, it also affects the, the ability to recruit foster parents um, because churches, there's been a study actually by the National Council for Adoption that that churches and faith communities are actually one of the most successful institutions for recruiting and keeping foster parents because anybody who has ever um, been involved with the foster system knows that being a foster parent is not easy. And a lot of people sign up because they want to do it. Um, You know, everybody knows it's a really nice thing to do if you have the means, but the reality is it is extremely hard and the dropout rate is massive. But they found that in faith communities, because there must be a higher calling to stick stick through it, um, they've had better success rates with foster parents. So this push from the left to um, basically shut down faith-based adoption and foster care providers from the system is ultimately really going to hurt a lot of children. And I do agree with you. It would be nice for Bowser to maybe, after going through this process, see what this effort is doing and how harmful it's being to the children. Exactly. In Philadelphia, so the city of Philadelphia has
1: actually banned Catholic social services from being able to operate, from being able to place children in this city, despite 6,000 children awaiting to be placed in homes. So there's currently 6,000 children to be placed in waiting to be placed in foster care homes citywide. Um, but obviously the city has more important priorities than the welfare of these children who are displaced, you know, who are going through, I'm sure, a really, really hard time right now. The priority is not with these 6,000 children that are just sitting, waiting to be placed in homes. It's to push a sexual agenda upon religious organizations. I mean, this is so ridiculous.
0: And something I want to be very clear about, in every state, same-sex couples are able to adopt, and they do adopt children. They adopt inst- infants. They can adopt foster children. There are state-based institutions and non-faith-based institutions and, and, and adoption agencies and foster agencies that can and will facilitate um, adoptions to same-sex couples. And One of the lawsuits um, that the ACLU is involved with, the couple um, that the, that is suing the faith-based based agencies had to drive by two or three adoption agencies that would have worked with them in order to find the one faith-based agency that had a policy of not adopting two same-sex couples so that's how ridiculous this is there's clearly a political agenda behind it and this is really what happens when a political agenda comes before children Exactly.
1: And when we come back, we will crown our Problematic Woman of the Week.
0: All right. It is that time of the week to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. This week, Bree, would you like to do the honors? I'll do the honors. So, Tommy
1: Laren of Fox News has been in the news a lot lately, and it's <laughs> This time it's not because of something that she said. It's because of something that other people said and something that happened to her recently. So while she was uh, at a restaurant with her family in Minneapolis, a complete stranger just threw water at her and other people got in her face and cursed her out. We can't play the actual clip of all of this going down because there's just a lot of profanity, a lot of profanity, a lot of nasty things happening there. They're calling her racist with... with-
0: Profanity and all sorts of things. Yes.
1: But here's a clip of Tommy Lauren talking about the ordeal with Sean Hannity. Well, of course, it was humiliating. I think people forget that I'm a real person at the end of the day, and these things do embarrass and humiliate me, and especially for my family. I didn't want them to have to be a part of this. It's something that I've kind of grown used to, but it's not something I want to subject them to. But at the end of the day, like you said, Sean, I do have a following, and that following is made up in large part by young girls. And I hope that young girls will look at this especially conservative young girls, and see that if I can handle this with grace, they can too and never be discouraged from having a voice. Don't let the bullies take your energy. Not worth it. Let me just... I think that that's definitely a good attitude to have about this situation. So we're going to applaud her for having a good attitude. Yes.
0: She was certainly problematic. I, I mean, I think this is a lesson for everyone. I mean... Um, because someone threw water on her face, you know, this k- turned into a national news story and probably made her more famous than she already was. And so, um, you know, it's it, it, really the opposite of what what they had hoped to happen came true in that the they just got the president speaking out about Tomi Lahren. Yeah. And I think we also should also should take a
1: second to applaud all of the people who disagreed with her and yet defended her in this instance, right? Like a lot of actually liberal feminists like Kathy Griffin and a lot of other, you know, big name people Stepped up and said, "You know what? I disagree with literally everything that she says, but <laughs> don't throw water on people. Don't like get physical or get in people's face."
0: I mean, not Kathy Griffin, the comedian, is who we're talking about. Yes, stood up for her. Yeah, she said something about not using, you know, not being physical against your enemies. And I just could not help but think back to her physically holding up a decapitated. <laughs> dummy head dummy head of president trump yeah and i'm like okay i mean i'm glad that you're not being hypocritical with the Tommy Laren and are standing up for you're doing the right thing there but like that was pretty physical uh, we saw I think we talked about the decapitated head, right? Yeah. I kind of had a hot take about it, where I actually didn't think it was that bad. Oh, I thought it was disgusting, and I couldn't help—gross. I couldn't was help I couldn't but, help but think, think about um, President Trump's son, who Barron, who is how old? And having to see an image like that of your father—I mean, it was disgusting because it was so realistic looking. Oh, I, I, I thought it was a very sad
1: day. Anyway, kudos to <laughs> Kathy Griffin and all of the other people that we disagree with who stood
0: up for someone who they disagree with. Agreed. We need more of that. Well, thank you all for tuning in to another edition of Problematic Woman. As always, if you know a problematic woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. You can read all my stuff over at TheFederalist.com and follow
1: me on Twitter at Bree underscore Peyton, this podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist, and it's produced by Lauren Evans of The Daily Signal. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.